Alrighty, folks. Thank you so much for joining us for week 26. This that's a full half of a year now. It that's that's a long time. Yeah, yeah. I'm just now computing that, wow. uh, which also unfortunately means we're very close to the to the end here. But as you can tell, I am uh, joined by my uh, regular co-pilot here for our Acts chapter chats, Jason Bridgman. Today, Jason, you were sorely missed uh, for chapter 25. And um, what that means is, since I had to talk the entire time last time, that means you're going to have to talk a lot more this time. I'm going to have to lay out. I'll, 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 I'll steer the ship, but then you need to, you know, put all the Parmesan cheese and all the other toppings on, on there. So, yeah. I'm pretty cheesy, so that works out. You are. You yeah. are. Uh, so we are here in Acts chapter 26. And um, this is, you know, actually, if you kind of actually do the math, this is, I think, about like the fifth defense of Paul. A couple of those were kind of short, shorter defenses, but this is going to be uh, one of those big full defenses, maybe the third of a, of a full kind of uh, thorough uh, defense here. Uh, and really, maybe it's not so much even a defense as it is just an explanation, because chapter 25 talks about how uh, Festus, who was the governor at that time, uh, he tried Paul found nothing, you know, nothing to accuse this guy about. And so Paul ends up having to pull his um, Roman citizenship card and he says, I appeal to Caesar. The only problem is for Festus is he needs a really good reason to send the case up to the Caesar. You know, last thing you want to do is to send a case up all the way to the highest court of the land and there's not like a really, really good reason to do so. And so Festus is kind of grasping at straws to find some reason why this needs to go all the way up to uh, up up to the emperor, and so he then invites uh, kind of one of the neighboring governing officials, uh, King uh, Herod Agrippa. Uh, hey, you're in town. Uh, would you maybe just come over and, and hear this guy? Let him talk a little bit, and maybe you can help me out here. And Agrippa. Uh, says, I would gladly do that. I really would kind of covet the opportunity. To, I've heard some things about this fellow. Um, I think we're going to see here, actually just in the first couple verses, Agrippa is acquainted, well acquainted with uh, Judaism and the customs and even some of the controversies between Judaism and Christianity. And so he's got a peculiar interest in this. And as I closed with uh, last week in chapter 25, I just kind of made the point that as we continue to see these shadows of, of Jesus and now Paul, um, it is of interest that Jesus had the opportunity to go before a member of the Herodian family. Mm-hmm. That was Herod Antipas. And it was because he was just curiously interested in this Jesus fellow. Well, yeah, I'll gladly hear him. Um, it, it didn't result in Antipas, you know, b- becoming a believer. Um, but here we are, you know, kind of some years down the line now, and we've got another member of the Herodian family. Oh, yeah. I'd like to hear that guy. I'm interested in that. Let me take a crack at him. And so that's where we are. Thoughts on chapter 25 before we jump into 26? Well, you know, I listened to to what you said, um, and to be honest, I have nothing of significant value to add to that. So I think it was it went well. That means I was right, wasn't it? Yes. Thank you for just uh, boosting my ego there. Uh, no, um, they're, 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 I was glad to just go ahead and cover it and keep us keep our train rolling on this. But uh, chapter 26 now is when we're going to get to some places where we can uh, kind of talk practically and make some applications for, for us today. So Paul's now here before Agrippa. Now, 
Agrippa's not the only person in the room. You got Agrippa and this woman Bernice, who actually is his sister, she's there. Festus is also there. We're also told in 25 that Festus had arranged for this big kind of assembly hall of people. So you got all these kind of dignitaries uh, present as well. Um, no doubt some of those Jews that had accused Paul, they're probably there too, but I think mostly this is a Gentile audience, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to kind of frame how Paul approaches this defense on this occasion. And I'll make another comment about that uh, here in just a few moments. So verse 1, So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I'm guessing Paul stretched out one hand to kind of motion, you know, quiet everybody down. And I'm guessing his other hand was probably chained to a soldier. <laughs> That's how I'm picturing <laughs> probably it. Probably so, yes. Uh, verse 2, Paul says, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, that I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews. Now, let's just say, first of all, I, I think one of the reasons that Paul, and I think he's being honest and sincere here when he says, I, I, I'm very glad and I feel very fortunate that I get to speak to you, is because Paul has been jerked around now for, for over two years by some of these, you know, Roman officials who don't really have any knowledge of Judaism. Um, they, they really don't care. They just see probably a lot of these people as pests and just kind of wants to hurry up and get done with them. But Paul recognizes he's talking to somebody here who actually has some interest and he has some knowledge, as he says in verse 3, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And so um, Paul's got what he believes is a good, willing, and, and kind of captive audience here. And in many ways, I, I do think this defense speech, it just reads and sounds different than some of the others. Because, I don't know, as I read along through here, I'm not saying that Paul didn't address everybody in the room or that you know he didn't care about everybody else in the room. I think he did. But this one just seems really laser-locked in to Agrippa. Mm. And, and especially when we get here to the end, I mean, like, Paul's ready to baptize the guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think that's how locked in he is with, with Agrippa here. And so everything he says is just... Right here at this guy. It is. You know, Paul takes every opportunity that he has to reach whoever he has a chance to reach. I mean, some of these other people he's had a chance with already. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who were present who weren't there in some of the other trials right. or, or whatever proceedings. But to be able to be before Agrippa and knowing his background, knowing where he came from, Paul was just like, okay, this is perfect. Yeah. Um, and... Again, you know, we've said this before, but when Paul has the chance to basically beg to be released because he was obviously, he should not have been imprisoned. Right. Why did so many people have trouble finding words to say about what charges were brought against him? Because there were none. Yep. This was ridiculous. And so he could have used that time to do so many other things. But he was focused on the, the work of the Lord, and he was focused on trying to teach others, no matter what position they were in, no matter what position he was in. Mm -hmm. You know, you think, uh, if I was in that situation, I'm a prisoner. You know, no judge, no king is going to listen to me, a prisoner, when I, if I'm trying to convince them of mm -hmm. something, so why even bother? 
well, no, that wasn't Paul's, you know, attitude at all. It was, here is a person who needs to hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. I know some background, so I'm going to tailor this speech, whatever I have, to try and teach this person. Yeah. You know, and, and this is fresh on my mind because I'm about to preach a sermon on, on Herod Antipas, and about the fact that, you know, John the Baptist had the opportunity to go and, and, and preach to that guy. Mm-hmm. Jesus had the opportunity to stand before that guy. Jesus chose to invoke his right to remain silent and actually didn't didn't say anything to him. Uh, but Paul here, he's now before a king. And I just think about, man, I would, I, I would love to have the opportunity to go and preach to, like, the governor of Kentucky or yeah. to get invited to the White House and you know have a one-on-one audience with the president or some other you know high-ranking official, uh, I believe I have the the ability to teach those people the truth. Um, what I lack though is the opportunity. And mm-hmm. Paul here just again and again that this is maybe the one benefit of of being in these situations is he's getting an audience with people that most of the time you wouldn't get an audience with. Yeah. And so he's getting the chance to stand before some some dignitaries and some high-ranking folks. And so the gospel is getting preached at the you know kind of the the top crust of society, so to speak. Um, and so maybe that's one of the things that maybe would have comforted Paul and kind of gave given him some uh, you know some energy to keep going on. So all right, well, if nothing else, I'm at least getting to preach to this guy who probably otherwise would never listen to a, a sermon. Yeah, I mean, what if we had the chance to meet like our favorite celebrity or favorite movie yeah. star or whatever, and we knew we only had just a few minutes with them? What would be on our mind? What sort of things would we want to do? You know, I don't want to mess it up by trying to like talk about Jesus. Why would I do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, it, it's it's like, but that's a unique opportunity. Yeah. And when else? Not that any of us are going to have that opportunity. Maybe you will. I don't know. But um, just having that mindset of always ready to teach people mm-hmm. and to try to instruct with the gospel, that, that's just a, something that sticks out to me. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. So um, Paul then begins, verse 4. And this is somewhat similar uh, to some of his other defenses. Paul's going to give a little, let me give you a quick biographical sketch about myself. Verse 4, my manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, it's known by all the Jews. These, these people who are accusing me, they know who I am. They've known me you know, since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. They know exactly what my life has been all about. Verse 5, They have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, that I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise that was made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And it is for this hope that I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? There's a lot there just in this kind of introductory paragraph. Um, Paul speaks here once again of of, of his background as being um, the Jewiest of the Jews, a Pharisee, you know, if, if you want to start, you know, comparing resumes, isn't anybody going to be able to compare to mine? Um, the reason that I'm standing here before you today is that there has been what they believe 
has been this dramatic change in my life that somehow um, what I'm doing is in defiance of, uh, of Judaism. And I think Paul's wanting to make the case here that the reason that I am what I am now, the reason that I'm a Christian, is not in spite of the Jewish religion. No, the reason I'm a Christian now is because of the Jewish religion. You know, because of what the Scriptures had said, because of what our fathers uh, had said and what they had been promised there in verse uh, 6, talking about the, the hope and the promise that was made by God to our fathers. I, I think that probably encompasses a lot of different things. That would encompass things like Genesis chapter 12, the promises were made to Abraham. It would encompass things like you know, 2 Samuel 7, the promise that God made to, to David about uh, the, the, ha having a king. Um, uh, lots of other promises, Jeremiah 31, and about this new covenant. All these sorts of things that God had promised. Um, I particularly like uh, verse 7 that Paul uses the language of uh, you know, with our 12 tribes hope mm -hmm. to attain. Yeah. You know, this is kind of like... It's kind of like somebody, you know, talking about uh, America in the sense of, you know, well, I'm, I'm part of the 13 colonies, you know. <laughs> you know, we're going way back here. Yeah. And, and I think that's intentional on Paul's part. He's like, what I believe, it goes all the way back. You know, again, you can go all the way back to Genesis. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 if you want to. That's what I'm about. It's because of what God uh, and what the Bible the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, had been saying all along. And this is what I thought we were all looking forward to. The coming of the Messiah, He's here. That's the reason that I am what I am. And Paul just kind of points it out there in verse 8 that this is about believing in the resurrection of that Messiah and, and Jesus' resurrection. And of course later on Paul's going to talk about how this is a you know, it's, it's an undeniable fact. This thing wasn't done in a corner. Everybody, everybody knows this. This is public knowledge. Uh, but these people are so hard-hearted, they don't accept that. Um, Paul, and I said this last week, good Jews become Christians. That, 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 that's what I think Paul is, is trying to articulate without just saying it in those words. If you're actually a good Jew, you become a Christian because that's what the Jewish religion if you're following it correctly, if you're understanding what those prophecies and what those promises of God was all about, that's what you ultimately end up doing is becoming a Christian. He's showing so much that he is not, like you were saying, he's not against the Jewish religion. He's not against what came before because that's they are serving the Lord through that. I think in verse 7, there when it says, you know, the 12 tribes hope to obtain to this promise as they earnestly serve God night and day. Mm -hmm. So he's acknowledging that, hey, listen, you know, he, to Agrippa, you know that the Jews are trying to follow the Lord based on the Old Testament, you know, the, the 12 tribes, the, the promises. He says, I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. I'm not opposed to these people. I, I'm not putting myself at odds against them. I'm not raising up some kind of controversy like they are claiming that I'm doing. Never at any point did Paul say, Judaism's bad, you know, y'all yeah. should, should stop doing that. He never did that. Right. You know, he, he just keeps making connections with them. Um, you know, how, in order to say they earnestly serve God night and day, it's like he honest he knows that a lot of these people are very sincere yeah. in what they believe and what they're trying to do. Um, and even so they want to kill him because they think it's service to God to do that. He used to be like that. And I mm -hmm. mean we're gonna see some of that. But 
I, I think that we just see so much here that he is making connections with these people and he cares deeply about these people. Mm-hmm. Even though that they are trying to kill him, he still loves them. Mm-hmm. The when Paul talks here about the you know the, attaining this hope, verse six um, or verse seven, uh, and then for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O King. Um, I, I I take it that the, the hope that he's talking about here, uh, at least at least in part, is about what he then specifies in verse eight, and that is about the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you start scanning and surveying the Old Testament. It is true that there's not a lot of just outright discussion about the resurrection. I think there's lots of places where it's maybe kind of implied. Um, Job, for example, asks kind of some rhetorical questions about resurrection or about life after after this life. Uh, there's some things in the Psalms that seem to indicate that. Um, and there may be just... While there may have been the the belief about a resurrection, there just maybe wasn't as much information about you know what that's going to be like as as is given in the New Testament. And that's certainly not even to say that the New Testament tells us everything that we would want to know. Right. But but there is a lot. You know, First Corinthians fifteen, amongst other places, um, talks a lot about uh, the resurrection and what that will be like. And uh, of course, Jesus though is is the the first fruits, and he he was the the template for this idea of what uh, a resurrection was going to be about. And that's, again, that's where a lot of the controversy uh, still stems around is around Jesus and about just a misunderstanding of those Old Testament promises and things that there was hope of. Again, Paul doesn't just say it here, but I think he's implying that these people have a misunderstanding of -hmm. some of those Old Testament scriptures. Or, Or they have, maybe at the very minimum, have just their own subjective interpretation of what those passages are are are, are meaning, and uh, Paul's just going to make the case uh, from his own personal experience that th- there's no doubt about it. This Jesus, he's the one we should have been looking for, and I can prove it to you because I'm going to tell you a story. And actually, that is what he's going to do here in in kind of this next little chunk. Is he's going to tell he's going to tell a story. Now this is the technically the third time that Luke is going to record for us um, Paul's conversion, and there are little tweaks and differences in each of those passages. The first one was in chapter nine. We noticed one a few chapters ago in chapter twenty-two, and now here we get it in twenty-six. And and I do think that each time, um, especially this time compared to chapter twenty-two. Paul does tweak how he tells the story or, or what details he chooses to include based upon the audience to whom he's talking to. Mm-hmm. In chapter 22, he was talking to who? He was talking to primarily the Jews. Right. You know, he had asked for the opportunity to speak to them. And so it's a very Jewish-minded um, approach. And it's not until like the very end that he says something about Gentiles, and that's, of course, what sets them off. <laughs> and this occasion... He's talking to a lot of Gentiles, so he's going to be kind of, kind of liberal, you know, with talking about uh, the mission uh, that God and Jesus had sent him on to go to Gentiles, and so he's going to kind of sprinkle Gentile uh, type stuff all throughout um, his response here. I wanted to say something just real quick about this idea of Paul using kind of the 
the approach of, 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 of a story in order to uh, present his defense and in order to essentially preach the gospel. Um, there's a reason that Jesus often spoke in parables. And that's because stories, narrative, it just has a way of drawing the listener in. You know, um, there's a reason that, for example, when, when Nathan the prophet came and confronted David, he didn't recite to David the Ten Commandments and here's all the commandments that you broke, David. <laughs> no, instead he, he tells him a story. He tells him that story about the man and the, the, little, you know, the little lamb, etc. Um, it just has a way of drawing us in and Paul's going to do that here. He's going to do that with, with Agrippa. And he's going to kind of, I think, draw. he draws us in, even as he tells this for the third time now. And it got me thinking that, I don't know, maybe that's a tactic, that's an approach that we ought to think about more in evangelism. Mm -hmm. There's certainly, there's a place, there's a big place, there's a need for us to, 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 to look at just doctrine and, and talk about that and explain that. But there's also a place for, for story. We've talked a little bit in, in, in previous uh, episodes about you know testifying or giving testimony. And mm. sometimes that's, that's, that's taken and meant in maybe a, a wrong connotation. Um, but there's a place for us to talk about what the Lord has done in our lives uh, as a way of drawing people in, not that... Not that our story is going to be the basis of someone else's faith. That can never be the case. But it can help to introduce some important concepts. And, and that, that, that's what I think Paul does. I, I think sometimes we're afraid to use phrases like our personal relationship with Jesus because we, we, we're so quick to say, oh, there's a lot of teaching that's not quite right yeah. about that personal relationship and what that looks like and how that starts. But if we say that the only relationship we have to the Lord is this covenant relationship that He has set up and that we enter into because we accept the conditions and terms of that. I mean, it's like He cares about you individually. Yeah. And if we don't have a personal close relationship with Jesus, I think we're missing the mark. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that there's, there's so much that He offers us and, and the connection that we can have. Um, you know, you read through the Psalms and you hear, you know, primarily David, but some other people as well, just pouring their heart out, telling of the relationship they have with the Lord. Can we say that about us? Mm -hmm. You know, do we feel that relationship? And, and again, it's not based on feelings right. or anything. But if we are able to talk to people, sometimes the first way we can connect with somebody is connect on some things. Okay, I, I see you're having a hard time with this, or you, you've you told me about some, some difficult situations in your life. Let me tell you about something that happened to me. Um, and then we can talk about all the great things that God has done for us. Because if we're honest, what good thing has happened in our lives that God hasn't done right. for us? I mean, it's all every good and perfect gift comes from our Father above. In, in the ears of others, sometimes the way that we talk about, especially if we're trying to, to help, you know, teach somebody the truth, in the ears of others, I'm afraid sometimes it comes across like we're trying to convert them to a set of doctrine. Yeah. And, it almost sounds like the, and, and it almost sounds like that's what we've been converted to. You know, I have this relationship with, with this book well, I, I think an awful lot of the Bible. I hold the Bible in high esteem, but I don't have a relationship with the book. Mm. That doesn't mean that the words in it are not powerful uh, and, and important, 
But the Bible is a tool. It is a tool. It's a means to an end, and the end is God, and that's who I've been converted to. I've been converted to Him, and I'm in a relationship with Him. And just sometimes in the way that we talk about these things in almost a a sterile and stoic fashion a second ago when you were kind of pantomiming to me. I, I was getting it, that it comes yeah, across just sorry, very... Sorry, you can't see that yeah, if you're it, it, it comes across very cold and, and, and rigid, and and we need to do a better job of that. And yeah. and and story, and, and speaking personally, I think that's one of the ways that we can kind of help that. And and it does come across, I think, in the ears of, 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 of non-believers uh, in a better way that then maybe helps to open up the door to where, yeah, okay, well now let's talk about the, the basis for that relationship and, and how we've arrived at the conclusions that we do and uh, those sorts of things. So there's, like I said, I'm not undermining or, or trying to speak ill of, of doctrine. That has to be there. There's no doubt. But we've seen that through 25 chapters uh, of Acts. But... Um, We've also tried to talk about evangelism tips, and this seems like a good one to make. So. Yeah, I mean, that's the book of Acts is all about evangelism. Yeah. So if, if we don't see that, I think we need to read it again. Yeah. But, you know, you, you think sometimes when we start talking about religious things, sometimes it's almost like our entire vocabulary shifts, <laughs> yeah. and we start using words that we, we never use. We never use in any like, other facet of our on. lives. Yeah. yeah. And so why do we think that people see such a, a disconnect um, in our, and, and we even label it sometimes, this is my spiritual life, mm-hmm. you know, here's what I do, spiritual things, and then my physical life is over here somewhere else, and you know, this is my time, this is what <laughs> I do for fun, and, and that sort of thing, but it, it should be all connected, yeah. you know, we live our lives as Christians, because God gives us all of, all of the things. Yep. Uh, you know, when we talk about the Lord, we shouldn't automatically have to be like, oh, okay, I need to use my 1611 English vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, no, talk like a normal person. <laughs> yeah. You know, like we can connect to people um, in those ways. Too. Yeah, just, just be a person. Uh, Paul's being a person here. <laughs> and uh, he just wants to, he wants to just talk. So he, and he's, he's already been doing that. He's going to keep doing that here. So verse 9, he says to Agrippa, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I really thought that the, the appropriate and proper thing to do was to, you know, stamp out the, the, these these Jesus followers. You know, um, we, he's made mention in, in the previous defenses about his his zeal, and he was right up there. You know, as as zealous as could be in doing what he believed in his conscience was the right thing. Verse ten. And I did so. I, yeah, I was persuaded I ought to do this, and so I did it. And you know what? If, if nothing else, you got to give the guy some credit for he had convictions and he acted upon them. I can appreciate. I can actually appreciate a guy who, who even if he has wrong convictions, mm-hmm. that he's at least willing to follow through with them. Than somebody who is just kind of waffles back and forth and just doesn't have any convictions, or, or or somebody who professes to have convictions but it sure doesn't show in, in their actions. I, I, I can actually get some respect going for somebody like that. No, for sure. So he says, I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Verse 11, And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme, and in a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. A couple things to just note and maybe talk about here from, from verse 10 and 11. Uh, first of all, 
uh, after Paul says, you know, he helped in, in locking up th- these folks, um, that last expression at the end of verse 10, that when certain ones of them were put to death, Paul says, I cast my vote against them. Uh, some pull out of that that what that means is, is that means, well, Paul must have been a member of the Sanhedrin Council. Hmm. You know, you have these 70 guys plus the chief, or excuse me, plus the high priest uh, who makes up the council, and they're the ones who kind of voted on these sorts of matters. And so Paul says, I cast my vote against. Is that how the New American Standard words yeah, it? Yeah, cast my vote against. Um, so that must mean he was on the council. Um, I'm not persuaded that that's what that means. Right. Um, couple reasons. Um, one, and this is maybe less um, persuasive, uh, but first of all, um, it's often believed that in order to have been uh, a member of the council, you actually needed to be married. And it's possible that Paul maybe was married and maybe his wife you know, died before he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter what 7. seven yeah. You know, uh, I guess that's possible. Um, but everything I think we can tell, it seems like Paul was, was probably single for, for the duration of his life, at least the part that we know of. Um, that's probably the, 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 the lesser of the reasons. Probably the main reason that I don't think this means Paul was on the council, I think Paul would have just said so. You know, this is yeah. the, the second or third time where Paul just lists his credentials and he's just listing off, you know, I, I was trained by Gamaliel and I was a, you know, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, etc., etc. It just seems like that'd be the kind of thing he would have just listed on his resume. I was on the Sanhedrin Council, but he never does that. And um, so it just seems conspicuous to me that uh, he would never say that if that were actually the case. I don't think it's something that he would be like ashamed of. I think, I think here, and you, you tell me what you think, I just think the, the, the phrase here, I cast my vote against them, is really just kind of an, like maybe just like an idiom that like, hey, I was giving my approval that, yeah, thumbs up, I'm, I'm for that as well. You know, it's kind of an unofficial uh, vote, and we kind of do that kind of thing as well. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm in favor of that, even though I maybe wasn't actually part of the decision-making process. Yeah, you you got my you know seal of approval as well. I just take that that that's what that means. I think that's exactly it. I mean, Philippians 3, 2 Corinthians 11 would have been much different if he could have said that. Yeah. You know, I was a member of the council. Yeah. Um, you know, he was probably pretty young at this time, too, so, like, council members are usually older, um, and why would he have to get authority from chief priest and that sort of thing to go and persecute if he had right. the authority of a council member? Yep. Um, doubt that he would have had that. But, yeah, I, I think you're spot on with the whole, uh, it's an idiom that we even use sometimes. Yeah. yeah you got my vote. Yeah. Um, even, when's the election? <laughs> you know? <it's laughs> yeah. 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 So I think that's right. I think Paul is, you know, when I picture him and his, his role with the council, he seems like the chief deputy. You know, that's, he is the guy that we know uh, that we can send out and he's going to get the job done. He's going to put the legwork in. I think that's kind of what his role and relationship was with the Sanhedrin Council was just kind of the main deputy. And as he lists here the things here in verses 10 and 11, I mean, this is the kind of stuff he was charged to do, you know, going and rounding these people up and arresting them. And, you know, not even just people in Jerusalem, but, you know, even ones even outside of Jerusalem, even these other cities. I was in a raging fury and going after going after him everywhere. Um, verse 11, when he says he tried to make them blaspheme, um, th- that's Paul saying that in retrospect. You know, at the time, 
what that means is it means to get these people to deny that Jesus was was the Christ and was the Messiah. I think that's what the blaspheming is. Mm-hmm. Uh, renounce their Christianity. But at the time that Paul was doing it, he wouldn't have considered that blasphemy. At the time he was doing it, he was considering, hey, this is what you people need to do to be right with God. You need yeah. to renounce these wrong beliefs that you have. But now here with hindsight and with the, you know, the events we're about to read here again, uh, beginning in verse 12, uh, Paul realizes that, yeah, I was asking those people to blaspheme against the Son of God. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and I, I wonder, well, you know he looked back on this and with shame. Yeah. Um, but you know, thinking about, he understands that's the Jewish mindset, that Christianity is, uh, is just like an abomination mm-hmm. of what Judaism is supposed to be. You know, they, it's obvious, you know, these Christians are saying they're serving God, but they're, they're not. Man, they, they have perverted the gospel of God. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but still, you know, thinking about that, about how, how Paul understood the Jews' thought, he still looked at them as being sincere, for one, and worth trying to reach with the gospel. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think we put ourselves at odds with people um, that we really need to look at with compassion and want to try to help, to teach, and, and to bring them through that instead of just saying, oh, well, you're a, a heathen and a false teacher because of what you believe. Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, you know, when I couple, you know, these descriptions that Paul gives about himself here in these verses and you add them with, you know, some of the previous descriptions that Paul's given of himself and then even, you know, Luke's description of Paul back in like, you know, chapters, uh, you know, at the end of chapter 7 and into chapter 8 and, and then the descriptions in chapter 9. I mean, Paul was a... <laughs> he was he was just a, a fanatical against... Christianity, yeah, uh, and you just that can't be said strongly enough. Um, and Paul saying to Agrippa, "These Jewish people, I was I was like them, and I was as strong in my fervor and my belief about this as I once was." And it's probably at this point I'm I'm kind of wondering what was Agrippa's disposition as he's hearing all this. You know, he's right. he's he's got to be just leaned in, going like, "All right, all right." What's the issue? Yeah, you know, right? I, right. I, I don't know why these Jews over here are so upset because th- th- this guy—he's he, right there with you every single step of the way. Yeah. And this is where things change. Verse twelve. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. I've been sent to Damascus to rustle up some of these the, these Christ followers. Verse thirteen. But at midday, O King, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Let's just talk right there about this vision that, that Saul sees. We've, we've talked about this before in the previous encounters. Um, maybe the additional information, though, that we get here is that expression in verse 26 where the Lord says, that it's hard for you to kick against the the goads is New York Center use goad. Yep, prick is what the <laughs> is what the King James version uses. It's hard to kick against the pricks. Um, talk to us about a goad. What's a goad or a prick? So I mean, it's just to try and get the animal that you were wrangling in to go where you want it to go. 
Um, so you, you poke at it with a stick, so it will go in the direction that you want it to. A sharp stick. To, a very sharp, yes. Yeah. Um, and it's uncomfortable, so theoretically the animal is going to you know, not want to experience that pain and, and keep going in the direction that you were pushing it to go. Yeah. So my my interpretation of this is, is Jesus was trying to show Paul the way to go, but Paul was, was not having it. Um, he was he did not listen to you know the idea of Christianity that you know Jesus was the Son of God and all that, and so he was it was like kicking against it, which was really worse on him. Yeah, you're hurting yourself. Yeah, it's like if an animal just really doesn't want to go in the direction that you're poking it to go, um, and it starts kicking against it, it's going to hurt the animal. Yeah. Um, and and so it if if you're looking from an outsider's perspective, it's just like well just just go, yeah. just go in the direction that you're supposed to. Yeah, and you know so here's Paul. He's thinking, you know at this at this point in his life, his thought was that what he was doing was I'm really going to hurt these Christians and I'm really going to hurt this this Jesus guy. And Jesus says, nope, you're actually having the exact opposite effect. You, you are hurting you. Yeah, and this makes me. I, I, I've thought about this a little bit. So we're talking about evangelism again. I, I, I think this is something that maybe we need to say more about when we're talking with people who are not Christians. I'm not saying we want to start with this. <laughs> yeah. um, it's not the jumping off point. But at some point, and probably in a, in, a, in a tactful way, you know, none of us is Jesus, so none of us really can just flat out just say it the way Jesus does here. But we want to help people understand that the longer that you are in rebellion to God, you are only going to hurt yourself. True. You know, there's a reason that the proverb writer talks about how the way of the transgressor is hard. You know, you you think that living in the world and living for yourself and you know enjoying sin that that's the way to go and it's it's wonderful and the devil is very good at convincing people that yeah this is the this is the good life, mm -hmm. but. You, you're not. You're hurting yourself. And sooner or later, you will feel some of the consequences of that in this life. But even if you never fully experience that in this life, there absolutely is coming a day where, where you're going to understand it, this was the wrong way to go. And that's the whole idea here. You know, maybe we, we don't use the... Maybe there's some more rustic farm-type folks who do use the actual, you know, goad or a prick. Maybe what we may be more familiar with is a cattle prod. But that's what we want to say to folks. Hey, you, you, you're just cattle prodding yourself, you yeah. know? The longer that you resist what is staring you in the face and what is obvious and what is true. Yeah, and that's that's so true. We... I think we try to almost not really change the gospel, but we, we sort of shield people from the, the full effect of the gospel. Yeah. Because it's just like, well, we want to be gentle, and we want to show them all the great things that God can do for you in your life and how He can make your life better and, and how it would just be, wouldn't it be so much better if you were a Christian and that you love God so you could experience all His blessings? And, you know, we do need to have that aspect for yeah. sure. But uh, I think that people need to see the full picture of that as well. Um, you know, if if we don't, you know, sometimes we do have to be kind of straightforward in in what what we're going for. Um, you know, it's it's one thing to just lay out 
a message for someone and, and just say, okay, here's the gospel. But it's another to make it personal. Yeah. And to, to like directly, you know, asking questions. It's like, you know, and we could, we could do it like this. Uh, you know, we're having a discussion about something. We talk about something that the Bible says. And I can ask you, okay, well, where are you at with this? You know, what's your understanding of this? Or, you know, have you done this? Uh, you know, where are you at in your life? And so we don't even have to just be like, okay, listen, you're awful. You're terrible. You know, we don't tell people that. We ask them and let them incriminate yeah. themselves. Yeah. Uh, no, we, I mean, we, we just let them, uh, you know, wrestle with that. Because sometimes I think if if there's like an awkward silence or an awkward pause and we have just said something challenging, we kind of just want to, okay, well, let's move on. You, yeah. you think about that. Or try to, or backpedal and apologize for it. And well, what I meant was, yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we need to be able to adapt accordingly to the situation. I think about what's said in Jude, Jude 1, 22 and 23, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. That to me sounds like, mm-hmm. hey, we need to be direct with these people and like the urgency yeah. and don't, you know, let's quit tiptoeing around things. Others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Um, I, I just know there have been people that I've had uh, conversations with where I, I look back and and I wish I'd just been kind of direct like this. You are yeah. you are kicking against the goads. What are you yeah. doing? Yeah. This is foolish. It's foolish what you're doing, and and I think you know that it's foolish. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that's what that, that's what it's called for, and um, yeah. it requires us doing kind of some reading of each individual situation. Um, so yeah, so Jesus says you're, you're kicking against the kicking against the goads, and verse fifteen, uh, Paul then says, "I said, well, who are you, Lord?" And the Lord said, "I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting." Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me, which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles. So here we go. Paul's going to just jump right into this Gentile talk. To whom I am sending you. I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn away from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So um, Paul here just kind of jumps straight to the, to the thrust of, of the reason why Jesus appeared to him in this marvelous way, and that is because the Lord had plans, big plans for him, to be the one who's going to, to, to go in a big way to Gentiles, to all people. And... Again, Paul's talking to this a Gentile man, but he's got a largely Gentile audience. So now he's starting to say some things that ought to, hopefully, is starting to pique the interest. Okay, mm-hmm. we're talking about this Judaism stuff up until now. Well, that just doesn't really you know appeal to me or affect me in the same way because I'm not a Jew. But you start talking now about Gentiles and how, as the Lord says there, uh, to open their eyes so that they can turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so they can be forgiven of their sins. Whoa! If I'm hearing that, I'd like to think there would have been at least some people in that room that would have said, hey, well, I'd be kind of interested in some of that. 
I'd like to know a little bit more about that. I'd like to get me uh, some some of that, how to have a place amongst those who are uh, sanctified by faith uh, in Christ. Um, the wording of verse 18, I think, is just really powerful. I got to thinking about, in some ways, that verse 18 would actually make like a good like Lord's Supper talk. Hmm. About th- th- this is what the Lord has done. This is an unconventional verse to, to use, but True. this is what the Lord did for us uh, through His sacrifice, made it possible for our eyes to be opened. Here, you know, the devil is so good at blinding us. Paul talks in Corinthians about how he has blinded the, 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 the minds and the hearts of the unbelievers and you know, wants to keep that veil on. Well, the gospel rips that away. We're no longer walking around blind and in darkness uh, to where we're no longer under the captivity of Satan, but now we're under the control of, of God. I mean, this is who we are, those of us who have uh, responded in faith uh, to Christ and been obedient to Him. Uh, we are the living embodiments of, of, of that verse. That's our story. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, you see, this is the essence of the gospel. I mean, it, it is. Because you think what the Jews prided themselves on mostly was that they were born into a certain nation. I mean, that was their claim to fame. And yeah. that's, that was their relationship to God, really. Um, yeah, they, they were very, very zealous. They searched that out. But when it came down to it, it was because of their birthright. Mm-hmm. Um, but verse 18, they're sanctified by faith in me. That's that's what separates us from the world. I mean, it, it's just we have faith in Christ, and that's what brings us to Him and draws mm-hmm. us in. That's how we have access to God. That's how we are able to turn from darkness to light. Um, and that know. speaks of a choice. That's different than the birthright thing. Yes. That speaks of, you know, by faith in me, like of my own volition, I, I made the choice to, to leave this and to come to this. And I don't know. I mean, to me, it just seems like, um, I know for me, I, I have more investment in, in my spiritual life and my soul and, and how I live because it was a choice that I've made instead of it just being something that was, you know, I, I inherited it and you know, I, I just grew up in this. Right. And it's, it's not something that, that we earn ourselves because of how good we are right. or how close we follow, um, but it's all about Jesus. You, you, in this short little section of verses, we saw how Jesus says that you are persecuting me. I am the one whom you are persecuting. And we talked about this before, but you know, Paul was going around killing Christians and putting pr- Christians in prison. Jesus was already dead. How is he persecuting Jesus? It's because Jesus lives through his followers. Yeah. And that is the connection. Um, you know, I think it's, it's much more than... You know, the, what the Jews were accusing Paul of probably was you're part of this, this fake made-up religion. Um, and when really what, he, what it get, comes down to is, no, this was, this was the Lord who orchestrated that. And we as Christians, we aren't doing anything on our own, really. It's just we are extensions mm-hmm. of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, He lives on through us and through our actions. And we all can be part of that if we have faith in Him. Yeah. And the other thing about verse 18 is, all right, so these are, these are Paul's marching orders, you know, to go and to open the eyes of, uh, of unbelievers, etc. Uh, that's our job too. 
you know, not only do we as Christians, can we say that that's our story, that, okay, that the Lord did that for me, but now my job in turn is to help others open their eyes and uh, help them to be able to turn from the darkness to the light. And those marching orders are, are, are just the same for us um, in, 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 in that sense even today. Um, and when Paul was given those marching orders, verse 19, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. This is th th that one verse there in verse 19. That's really kind of Paul summing up all the stuff that he gave the details of back in chapter 22 about, you know, uh, you know, uh, being baptized and you know uh, going and preaching and all, kind of throwing all that together in that I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision and really here in verse 19 the way that he says this to Agrippa the way it comes across to me is Agrippa what was I supposed to do hmm. you yeah. know you know so he's having to give this defense for why he's been doing the things that he does as this as this Christ follower and and Paul's point is well what else was I supposed to do this is kind of like Peter back in chapter 11. Peter, you know, talks about how he received that vision. Well, of course, what else am I going to do except go to this guy's house and go to these Gentiles and do that? Um, Paul's saying the same thing here to Agrippa. Hey, man, you tell me. I mean, what would you have done in the same circumstances? I, I, I could not be disobedient to heaven. I mean, do you, do you know any other options here? If the Lord comes and visits you, what else do you do? You do what the Lord says. Yeah. Man, you think of, because Paul made it very clear that the people there, they could vouch for his history, his background. Mm -hmm. Why in the world would you throw all that away to chase something that was false, that was fake? Um, you know, the evidence that Paul has that he encountered something on the road to Damascus and that um, that completely changed everything, it would make absolute no sense for him to throw all that away to pursue something that was a lie, mm -hmm. um, that was not true. And so I think that that helps to show even Agrippa that, hey, listen, you know, you know what the you know the pharisees are like and you know how they pride themselves on their heritage and the way they follow the old law for me to have this change this is major yeah um and so i i saw something i like it and i was just noticing this as you were just talking i was trying to go back and count and i don't know if i missed any but in verse two when he begins then again in verse seven and then again in verse 12 and then here now in verse 19, I like the way Paul just keeps kind of restating Agrippa by name mm. or, or saying, O King. You know, this, yeah. this is again why, why it comes across very personal. And I think about verse 19 here is when it starts, he's, he's shifting it to where he's putting it squarely at Agrippa. Hey man, what would you have done? Yeah. And, and this is something that I, I, I'm trying to think about my own self and my conversations with others. There's just something to be said about just... Um, you know, saying a person's name in those conversations or in a study, uh, or just you know, kind of positing it back to them. You know, what do you think, Jason, about that? You know, I, this is Jason. This is what happened to me. It makes it again. It, it pulls you in against the story aspect. It yeah. pulls you into the story, and um, I don't know. Just it's a subtle thing, but there's something masterful about it. 
Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you, this is one of my secrets. Hopefully none of my students are listening to me, but sometimes I do that in the classroom yeah. because I heard that from an older teacher once. They said, you know, if you're teaching a lecture to like 30 kids and occasionally you'll just throw their name in, it just automatically, whoa, whoa what? Yeah. And it, you get more attention that way. Um, and so, and that's for a full classroom. If, yeah. if you were one-on-one with somebody and you're able to, to keep doing that and make it personal, because... You can have a one-on-one conversation that is very impersonal. Yeah. And it's almost like... A monologue. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm just going to go through the my, my spiel that I've rehearsed 10,000 times, mm-hmm. uh, and then, you know, you take it or leave it. It's No, it's more personal than that. Yeah. When we're talking to people. We're talking to people. Yes. Um, we aren't just, you know... Talking, saying words, um, and, and hopefully somebody picks up on them. Yeah, it's someone with a soul, and Paul realized he's talking to somebody with a soul. Um, Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Verse 20, but I declared first to those in Damascus, that's where I was, let them people know what I've come to know. Then in Jerusalem, talked about that, his time in Jerusalem, there was initially some rejection there, and actually his life was put in danger. Then throughout all the region of Judea, so kind of expanding beyond just the city of Jerusalem. Then also to the Gentiles. So now you can kind of make that, um, you know, the, 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 the blob on the map. It's, it's, it's growing and getting bigger, uh, all these Gentile nations. That they should do what? That they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. I like how, you know, Paul just kind of changes it up every time. Um, in, in, in how he talks and how he speaks. Here he kind of puts the downbeat on repentance. Uh, we often put the downbeat on baptism. And, and in some cases, maybe that is where the downbeat needs to be. Uh, but Paul, on this particular occasion, he's wanting to put the emphasis on repentance, making a change of, 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 of mind that leads to that change of, of life. And then even that there's fruits that, that go along with that and are evidence of, of our repentance. Yeah, repentance isn't just like a mental, oh, I'm sorry, God. Yeah. It's, there are deeds. There are, like, deeds appropriate to repentance is how mine, you know, frames that. And it is, you know, repentance is a life-changing thing. It's something that, that is, it marks um, a definite change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think sometimes we overlook repentance because we are looking for baptism, yeah, um, it's, there's all kinds of passages that say repent and be baptized. But if if we skip over the repentance part, we've we're just a, as bad as if we skip over baptism. Yeah, I mean it's it's a major change. It's something that, that we we definitely need to to consider, and that people need to be able to see that repentance in our lives. If an unrepentant person is baptized, nothing has been accomplished. Right, they got wet. Yeah. But nothing has been accomplished. And so uh, there has to be that determination to, uh, to change. Paul says, that's the message that I took to Gentiles is that they needed to repent. Verse 21, now here's where it seems like here's, here's the reason for this whole ordeal right now, Agrippa. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. And Paul just, he, he's look, they can say what all they want to say. But what I'm telling you right now, after all the facts are laid out, this right here is the reason that I was arrested and the reason that I, you know, was attempted assassination uh, multiple occasions. Uh, this the reason I'm standing before you right now is because I went and preached to Gentiles, 
and I went and tried to tell Gentiles that they can be recipients of the, the, the salvation that God uh, makes possible not just to one select group, but to everybody. Paul says, if you, you're going to get down to brass tacks, this is the reason I'm here in front of you today, Agrippa. Um, yeah. Verse, go ahead. Well, well this, I just wanted, before we skip uh, through this, verse 20 when it talks about you know, how he started in, you know, he was in Damascus first because that's where he was converted. Right. But then Jerusalem, Judea, and then all the way through the Gentiles, that was the thing Jesus said would happen at the very beginning of the mm-hmm. book of Acts. Uh, chapter 1, verse 8, yep. talks about when they would receive power from the Holy Spirit there in Jerusalem, that you're going to be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Yep. So it's like it comes full circle. Yeah. You know, Jesus did accomplish his will in getting the message spread. Now, this is a long time after that had happened. Um, and so it's taken a while for it to spread like that, but it did. And Jesus did what he said he was going to do through his apostles, through even Paul, yeah. who was not even on the scene there when we read about that in chapter one, Yeah, uh, which is just really cool to think that God has orchestrated this and this is just what God wanted to have happen. Um, and so it just, it shows the, the irony that the Jews because of that reason, that's mm-hmm. why they had Paul arrested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we've covered you know in these twenty six chapters, we've covered you know going on roughly thirty years of of, of history, and mm-hmm. you know we've talked about it in long form. But if if we had had you know something visual, we we would be seeing just this blob getting bigger and bigger and bigger on on the map as we've we've gone along, and that's that's the place where we are. And um, verse twenty two is probably one of my favorite just little expressions that Paul um, ever utters or writes. When he says, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. You know, we've seen evidence of that in the book of Acts, you know, like very visible and tangible evidence of that. You know, when the Lord came to him in a vision and told him, you know, don't be afraid in this place. There's many people here. Or when just a couple of chapters ago, the Lord, you know, strengthened him and stood by him, uh, it says. Um, I love that just Paul recognizes that, that all along the way, the reason I'm able to be here, the reason I'm not dead yet, you know, the Lord had told me that uh, I was going to go to people, um, I was going to have to be, verse 17, delivering you from your own people, hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, well, I, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. The Lord is the one who did that. He's the one who helped me to escape assassination attempts and uh, every other obstacle and hurdle along the way. And there's still more to come. I mean, we're, we're fixing to you know, wreck a ship here in the next chapter. Um, and so there's, there's all these things. And I don't know, that's just a great little reminder. I'd like to just get a sticker or something of that and just place that on my rearview mirror or something every day or on my bathroom mirror to this day. I have had the help that comes from God, and to just be reminded of that every single day, and maybe even just think of all the, maybe even the minor ways through the course of just a, uh, you know, what seemingly normal day, how God has helped to get me to where I am at this point in time. Just a beautiful little simple expression. Out of any person who could say things like that, you know, imagine all that Paul had went through, all that he had suffered. And he still looks at it as he, he's yeah. had help from God. Yeah. I mean, he could have complained about it. He could have said, look, 
I'm in chains for something that I should not have been punished for. You know, this is just ridiculous. But he didn't. Um, even through all the persecution, all the times where he was beaten, um, probably killed, that he was faithful to God and, and realized that God was with him. Um, he didn't see this as, you know, I, I'm suffering and so something must be wrong. Where's God? Mm-hmm. No, God is helping him through the suffering. Yeah. And sometimes I, I think we, we focus too much on the suffering and, and forget that God is there with us. Um, we're, we're not guaranteed to be free from suffering, but we are guaranteed that God will be with us even in the suffering. Yeah. And in that, and especially when we acknowledge that, you know, then, then, then he's glorified. He gets the yeah. glory um, because um, we acknowledge that it's, it's, it's him that, that brought us through it and him that got us to this place. And he says, And so I stand here testifying both to small and to great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And so Paul just kind of comes right back to where he, he sort, of, sort of began all this. All I've been doing is just stating what the Bible said all along. I'm not preaching some new thing. I'm not coming along saying something that, that was different than what Moses said or different, different than what the prophet said. Um, I'm reading from the same Bible those guys over there are reading from. And so, again, Agrippa, what, what would you have me do? What was I supposed to do? I'm just preaching the same exact message um, about the Christ. And, um, yeah, and I like how he ends that in verse 23, that he would reclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Again, all of this, hey, buddy, Agrippa, Bernice, Festus, whoever else might be paying attention here, um, this, this, this can include you as well. Yeah, you know, sometimes you, you think, how did these people not understand? You know, why, why didn't they see that? Because we look at these passages, we look at Isaiah 53, and we're like, obviously, yeah. you know, Christ is going to come, he's going to suffer, and he's going to die for the, the sins of the people. And, you know, he's not going to be some kind of like conquering, um, you know, physical king that's going to come and, and deliver them from all of the, the travesties of the Roman Empire. You know, that wasn't what he was about. And we understand that. We look at passages like that. But these people didn't see that. They didn't have the benefit of hindsight to to see a lot of that. And and as they were going through, you know, we mentioned about the resurrection before. Um, You know, we look at the, the end of Isaiah and there's a lot that's said about there. It's like, oh, okay. We, we even look at the passage about the burning bush. And because of what Jesus said about that, mm-hmm. in that, you know, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Yeah. Um, you know, we're like, okay, well, yeah, I could see that now. But th- they didn't have that. They didn't have the explanations yeah. and, and all that, the benefits that we have because we have the New Testament. And so, um, you know, for some of those people to not understand that, that's why. You know, they were used to hearing the same interpretations of the scriptures that everyone else had taught. Um, and that's that goes to show we need to be careful about accepting things uh, as, as we've been taught, you know, and of what other people have said about scripture. Mm-hmm. That's why we need to investigate for ourselves because sometimes people get it wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and they don't understand things fully. And, but, you know, as, as Paul says here, you know, this... The, these things, they're clear. You just just look at them. Yeah. Um, and and we, we need to be careful about that. Yeah. In some ways, that the, the last little expression is kind of almost like the, 
it's the invitation call, you know, <laughs> proclaim yeah. light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Come to the front right now as we stand as we sing. <laughs> it's kind of the way it almost it comes across there. Yeah. And so the first person to respond to this invitation, after Paul has presented this very um, orderly, this very um, clear, um, very poised um, defense, is Festus. Festus all of a sudden decides to speak up. Verse 24, as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. All right, there's a compliment in there somewhere, you know, <laughs> that he recognizes that Paul is an educated man. Yeah. And, and, and how Paul presented this was, you know, came across very, showed his intelligence and, um, you know, speaking maybe in, in perfect Greek um, here to, uh, to, to this Gentile audience. Um, but Festus just does what sometimes just, you know, arrogant people do. And that is he concluded that, well, you know what? If it makes no sense to me, then it makes no sense to anybody. You know, and the only explanation is, is you're just you're you're a wild person, and you're you're crazy, and you just you just babbling, and don't know what you're talking about, and don't know what you're saying. Um, when in reality, you know, he's the one who really is is showing how, you know, nonsensical he is by making that claim. Yeah, that's it's such an interesting thing that that's that's what Festus comes up with. You know, when when you can't argue against what somebody says let's just discredit the person because you know I, I don't know what you're trying to do yeah um but paul's response to that is just really interesting you know what happens when somebody tries to you know say man you're crazy you, you don't know what you're talking about um you know a lot of times i i don't know i, I just feel like man, I, I need to explain myself mm -hmm. I, I need to really stand up and and just lay it out there but you know what paul says there no i'm not yeah, well, let's just look at it, verse 25. But Paul said, eh, I'm not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus. He's going to give him a compliment right back, you know, still talk of him in an honorable and dignified way. I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. You know, and what he's going to say next is he's going to essentially say, Festus, just because you don't get it doesn't mean that everybody else doesn't get it. You know, again, Festus would, you know, didn't understand the Old Testament and, and Judaism and how they were waiting for a Messiah. Even though Paul's, you know, tried to do some explaining of all of this here in, in a short, compact way, uh, he didn't have any, maybe any real prior frame of reference to, to this sort of stuff. And so, yeah, well, just because you've not studied this or thought about it or given it any serious consideration prior to this point in time, well, that doesn't mean that everybody else who accepts this is a bunch of idiots. And so he actually you know, kind of turns it back to Agrippa now, verse 26. For the king, he knows about these things. And so to him, I speak boldly. I love this. you know. So here's this, this red herring distraction squirrel guy over here. And Paul's like, nope, I'm not taking that bait. I'm bringing it right back over here to the guy I've been talking to the whole time. Paul probably realized with Festus, you know, he's already talked to Festus once. That's what chapter 25 was. Yeah. And it got nowhere. He had essentially done the same thing with Felix, and it got nowhere. Okay, you may on the periphery hear these things, but you know I've tried with you. I'm focusing on this guy right here in front of me who asked to, for the opportunity to hear me speak. 
I'm talking to this guy right here because he really does show some uh, some, some spiritual interest, and that's the reason I do speak to him in a is bold boldly the word that's used in the New American Standard uh, with confidence. With confidence, there we go. Yeah. Um, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. All these things that I've talked here about about Jesus and what happened to him and and these things about Christianity, you know, this stuff wasn't done, you know, uh, you know, in, in a corner somewhere, hiding under a rock. We've been very public about our, our, our faith. What happened to Jesus was certainly done in a, in a public fashion. Um, noising abroad that he was raised from the dead. You know, we didn't just keep that a secret between just, you know, 120 of us. No, we're sharing that with everybody. Uh, so I know some of this has come to his ears. And, um, and so I, I'm persuaded that, that this is having an effect on Agrippa. Um, I'm going to pause before we get to the poignant question 27. What else you want to say in 26? Uh, I, I mean, it's just Paul doesn't let anything distract him. Yeah. That, that's, I, I think some, we need to learn from that sometimes. Um, not every accusation that's raised do we need to try to answer. Um, you know, our reputation is an important thing. And, you know, it's important that we are honorable, keep our conduct honorable among the Gentiles. You know, that's a thing. Yeah. But we don't need to try and answer every single thing that's raised up against us. Some sometimes it's like, how do I? What do what What do you mean I'm crazy? You know, I I don't know how to tell you I'm not. If Paul would have responded with, I'm not crazy, you're crazy. Like, okay, that's a crazy guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so sometimes we confirm what people believe about us by the way that we respond. And so I like how he's just very calm, cool, and collected, just like Peter and the rest of the apostles were on the day of Pentecost when they were accused of being drunk. Because Peter was just like, uh, no, it's the third hour of the day. We're not drunk. <laughs> yeah. And it just kept going. Yeah. You know, he didn't offer this huge explanation. Um, and so, and Paul, the same way. No, I'm not out of my mind. Winston Churchill once said, you will never reach your destination if you stop and throw stones at every dog that barks. <laughs> and Festus on this occasion is a barking dog. Yes. And Paul's like, Accurate. I'm not going to sit here and, and waste my time throwing stones. I got, I got a destination in mind, and my destination is Agrippa. And that baptistry over there, <laughs> that is what Paul is just, yeah. he is yeah. just certain of. Laser and that, focus. That is absolutely true when he comes to this question in verse 27. And I'm going to go tell you, I, 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 I was reading through this um, the other day, and I got to this, and I, I'm not even really sure I, I can even explain to you why I got emotional reading this. Uh, I'll maybe try to give a, a, a reason why. But the question that he poses to Agrippa, verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. I think, as I've thought about, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, why am I getting teary-eyed reading this verse? What, what, what is it about this? And I think the reason that it was that it was kind of working on me, uh, and it is right now thinking about it, <clears throat> is that there have been occasions where I have had studies or discussions with people, and a lot of compelling you know, evidence was presented, a lot of good biblical, you know, arguments were made, and I fell short of this one thing in verse 27. And that is to just now need to turn the table and I need to just put it right in front of you and I need to just ask you, what do you think of this? Because I, I, I can tell 
there's something working there. What about you? And 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 I I look back with regret at at, at opportunities that in some ways um, I let slip through my fingers because I didn't go all the way. And and in some cases, ask what would be maybe a very uncomfortable kind of question to say, hey, what about you now? Because um, it may be greeted with some of that awkward silence, and you may get some humming a humming a humming a, um, but. There comes a point where it needs to be placed squarely and it needs to be clear that, look, we're not sitting here studying the Bible just so we can just both under, understand a bunch of stuff. We're studying it so that you and I personally, people with souls, individuals, that we're going to do something with it. And, and I know what I'm going to do with it. Now I'm asking you, what are you going to do with it? And that is what Paul is compelled here that Agrippa, I know you can't deny what, what you have heard and understood up to this point and the pieces that have fallen into place, I know you've got faith working in you. What are you going to do about that? Mm. Just powerful. It really is. Now, I don't want to pass up this opportunity to think, you know, anybody listening along, you know, maybe there's, there are people who have been following along with, with Acts as we've been walking through it. And, and there's some things that, that you've noticed in your life that, you know, this isn't lining up with what the early church did. This isn't lining up with what Christians are supposed to do. And maybe you have felt some of that. You know, I, I just want to offer the opportunity, you know, where are you with that? Yeah. Um, you know, is there something that you need to change? Do you need to make yourself right with God in whatever aspect? You know, maybe you are a Christian and, and there are things that, that have pulled you away from the Lord. Maybe you thought you were a Christian and, and there, there are some things that we've studied that make you see, oh, maybe I haven't done everything that I need to do. Um, you know, maybe repentance is your thing. Maybe you haven't truly repented. Maybe you need to, to change your life and, and truly give yourself to God. Maybe it's baptism. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe you haven't uh, you know, been baptized for that purpose of removing your sins. Uh, whatever it is, you know, we, we want to make sure that everyone knows you can get in contact with us. You can reach out to us and either one of us yep. and we'll, we'll help you in whatever way we can. Um, but I think it's tremendously important that as you're listening to this, you're not listening for other people. You're not listening uh, you know, primarily just to try to know how we should teach others. But we need to listen to this because we need to listen to this. Yeah. Um, and this message is for literally everybody. Yeah. I, uh, and and it's and it's easy for us to to kind of be bold through through this method and say, hey, if if you got some faith working in you, I, I know that 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 it's in there, and so you know what are you going to do with it? But I I want more than that. I want the boldness to in my one on one interactions with others uh, to be, and I want the I want the, the 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 relationships that I have with others to be such. That I can ask bold questions like this, you know, and just, just I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna ask you, you know, I'm just gonna lay it out there, and we're not gonna just talk, keep talking in these just generalities about yes, this is what people should do in in a broad sense. Let's talk about what you need to do, what I need to do. Um, that's where all of this has to come, and in a lot of ways. Uh, this, you know, as we've kind of talked about evangelism things, you know, all along the way for 26 chapters, um, this in some ways is kind of a good culminating thought. Not that we won't say other evangelism things in the last two chapters, um, but 
man, th- th- this is where it needs to come to, where, where we are we're asking for a response because God is asking for a response. There's no such thing as a non-decision. You yeah. know, the, the, the sitting on the fence thing. You know, somebody say, well, I'm not really making a decision. Yeah, you are making a decision. The devil owns the fence, okay? Yeah. Um, so it's time. You know, there comes a time. And um, we, we, we need, we just need the boldness to be able to do what Paul did here. Which leads then to um, one of the more um, puzzling responses in verse 28 um, in that the various translators of the Bible don't seem to be really certain as to how this response from Agrippa ought to be rendered. So verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, this is the ESV rendering, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? How's the New American Standard render it? In a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. All right, so a statement instead of a question. Right. All right, so there's there's kind of one difference. Um, the old King James uh, is probably the rendering I'm most familiar with, and a lot of us are that grew up in Churches of Christ because we have a song that was written and based on this rendering when Agrippa says to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian or maybe New King James, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Um, The New International Version, uh, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Um, I think there's one more that I was interested in, the the Holman Christian Standard. Uh, Let me see if I can find that really quick. Um, I thought it was maybe somewhat different flavor as well. Then Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? So there's a kind of another shade, not so much about a time factor, but about you just think you can just come in here and 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 you're going to persuade me, you know, because you're just such a good orator. Um, so there's kind of degrees here of, of of response, you know. One rendering makes it sound like it's a, a very serious response, like he's really maybe considering it almost. Would you persuade? You've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Um, there's kind of you know this ironic response. There's kind of sarcastic responses again, depending on which translation that you're reading from. Um, I'm gonna say for me, I, I actually think how the ESV renders it is is probably the most likely, where it was kind of almost said in 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 derision from somebody who really doesn't have any intention of budging. I, and I'm not saying that, that Agrippa didn't have some faith that was, that was working in him, but, but he wasn't going to budge, at least not on this occasion. You know, think about, again, put yourself in the scene. So all these other dignitaries present, Festus there, Bernice there, and all these other people watching on. Here Paul singled you out. Man, that's the other thing. Yeah. All these people, single one person out. Um, you know... Uh, the only thing to do is to kind of almost give like kind of a, a sarcastic response and maybe even to couch it in the form uh, of a question. What say you? You may think differently, and if so, that's okay because we've, we've disagreed before. <laughs> well, I wish, we, I wish I did disagree. Um, but, no, I do see this as almost he was, he was taken aback. And, and it's hard, I'll, I'll admit, it's hard to know what the response exactly was, like you said. 
But I, I wish the... there was live streaming in in the first century because then yeah. we could see his face, we could see his body language, and those yeah. probably would be some helpful clues for it us. It would be. I, I almost see this as he's he's sort of laughing at, laughing it off. You know, uh, of like he probably does feel some sort of conviction, and uh, you know he he has this belief, he has this knowledge of what what is there. But because of the situation, because of you know everybody looking at him, because of all the the pomp and circumstance mm-hmm. where he, he came in, you know it, it's like you know, I I can't act like this affected me. So yeah. it's like you, you, what are you trying to do this to me right now? Like seriously. Um, and so more of a, a laughing off type thing, you know. Regardless, though, it it doesn't really matter what he said and what he did because, like, even even the song that we sing a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know, almost persuaded. Um, the fact remains, it doesn't matter if if we were almost persuaded. It doesn't matter if we sort of laughed it off. It doesn't matter if we just put it off because we wanted to at at some point, you know, and. I'm just not going to do it here. If we don't commit and make the decision to become a Christian, then we are lost. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, uh, whatever Agrippa meant by that, what whatever you know, there's there's some I guess fun lessons that you can make based on that. I, I'd be careful because of the translational things. Yeah. Um, but you know, when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter. Um, it's it's all about what do I need to do first. I, I, I will say, I do like the fact that the King James rendering of the, the almost, you persuade me to become a Christian, I'm glad that that exists just because it does provide the hymn, which I, 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 the, when we sing that hymn as an invitation song, I mean, it sends chills down my spine, some of the, mm-hmm. the, the words of that song. Because uh, I still think it is, as you pointed out, it's still a valid thing to think about that being almost persuaded or almost a Christian or you know almost in the kingdom of God doesn't work. It, it's not. It's not enough. You know, almost the old phrase is that you know almost only works in hand grenades and horseshoes. Right. You know, that's the only places where almost is 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 good. Uh, in every other aspect of life, it, it, that, 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 that's not the case. And that is especially true, you know, when we're talking about the difference between heaven and hell. You know, what does it mean to be almost in heaven? It, it means to be in hell. Yeah. You know, that's a yeah. frightening thought. And, um, yeah, so regardless of exactly, you know, how that needed to have been rendered for us, I, it's a curiosity to find out in heaven, hey, Paul, what, what, what was his reaction that day? You know, how, what, what, what was the vibe you were picking up that moment? And in some ways, we know the vibe Paul was picking up because of his response, verse 29, which is just another great response. Um, there is such conviction in what he says, and Paul's still not going to let go of the opportunity that's before him in this mass of people. Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Translation, I wish you'd all be Christians. You know, yeah. everybody in here would just be a Christian. That's, that's all I would want. You know, take off the chains. That, that, that's not ideal. That's not optimal. You strip all that off of me. I'm just a Christian. That's what I want people to be, um, whether that be, you know, in a short period of time. Makes me think about, you know, the Philippian jailer. Mm. Pretty short period of time that guy became a Christian. Or whether it takes a long time, if the end result is somebody becoming a Christian, hey, 
that, that, that's what I'm going to delight in, and that's what the Lord is going to uh, delight in as well. Just, I don't know, just... He, he's, Paul's just never one to concede defeat. It's been really easy to just say, Oh, man, Agrippa. Shh, man. <laughs> Come on now. Come on, man. Nope. Paul's going to say, Look, That's your response? That's your response. Let me just now say to everybody, okay, I've been talking to you this whole time. Well, now, now I'm going to talk to everybody. Everybody needs to become a Christian. That water over there is still available. Let's, let's get somebody in it. And it does make me wonder, you know, were there maybe some people there that day who who really thought about that and um, you know gave actual consideration to the words that Paul spoke and maybe were affected by it and maybe did make that good decision? Yeah, and, and that's the thing we we don't know we yeah. don't know what happened and don't don't see that interaction with other people. Um, you know, it, it is cool to to find out and to know what happened and and all that, but. When it comes down to it, again, it, it's a personal choice, and it's something that we have to put ourselves in the story and be, okay, if I was Agrippa, what would I do? Um, and, well, we don't even have to think about that. We, we just have to think, what am I doing now mm-hmm. with hearing this? Now, the way he does say that in verse 29 does, to me, make it seem more like Agrippa was was laughing us off, you know, yeah, yeah. asking the question instead of making a statement. Yes, um, and just because of because of the way Paul says that, you know, well, whether short or a long time, you know, I, I wish you would do it. Yeah, you know, doesn't matter if it's I, I'm just trying to trying to get you to become Christian right now. Um, you know, you just I wish you would make the decision. Um, and so and and I'll, I'll, I'll and I'll play devil's advocate a little bit. Maybe even the response of verse 29, though, may indicate that maybe there was a smidge of sincerity, you know, in, in, in the short time response thing uh, that Paul's saying, okay, well, maybe you're suggesting that this just isn't really possible in such a short spur of the moment kind of thing, but regardless, I wish you'd become a Christian. Uh, maybe there was some measure of, of you know, genuineness to it, but again, the text doesn't say, and Agrippa became a Christian. <laughs> yeah. He didn't. Uh, and yeah. it, just like in the case of Felix, you know, who, who trembled, and uh, man, you know, Paul put it on him as well. Uh, Bible never tells us that he ever found that convenient time, that opportune moment to, uh, to, to hear Paul again and, and then respond favorably to the gospel. And I think with Agrippa, the same thing. If, if he had, I, I think Luke would have told us. Mm-hmm. Um, which is yeah. kind of sad. And these last couple of verses, or at least especially the next verse, I think kind of indicates um, <laughs> how probably eager they were to get out of there. Verse 30, Then the king arose and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. We're out of here. Yeah. You know, we're not hanging around here anymore. Good grief. This is maybe Agrippa was was maybe kind of sweating some bullets a little bit and and shoo, I don't like I don't like the spot it felt like you know just the whole spotlight was just shining right on me in that moment and get me out of here. <laughs> um that's the that's the tone of, of verse thirty when I read it. Um then they have just kind of this side conversation with Festus and with one another, verse thirty one, when they withdrawn, they said to one another, This man's doing nothing to deserve death. Or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And I think what all of that is to say is that, hey, Festus, you know, you called me over here and, you know, wanted me to kind of give you some advice on what you should say to Caesar when you send him to Caesar. 
Um, buddy, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, sorry, I, I listened to him, uh, but I don't, I don't got anything for you that you, you can send this to, to Caesar and think it was actually a good reason to send him to Caesar. Yeah, not only should he not be put to death like the Jews were wanting, he shouldn't even be in prison. He's being falsely imprisoned. There's nothing. Yeah. And, I mean, that's very reminiscent of, of Jesus, you know, yep. how Pilate found no fault in him. And so, but then remember what was said about that. Uh, it, it said, so Pilate said, so I will uh, beat him and release him or punish him and release him. It's like, there was nothing to punish. Like, why was that even a thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just shows overall justice was not served. Um, and the thing that, that Jesus deserved, the thing that Paul deserved here, that's not what happened. Um, and, and so how do we respond when things don't go our way, when it's obvious that, that we're not receiving the justice that we deserve, you know, our rights are being violated, you know, Paul used those as opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we can show Christianity more so in times where we are, you know, discriminated against, or we have our rights violated or, or how we respond to those sorts of things just show the character that we're care, we care we care much more about what the Lord is experiencing than, yeah. than what situations we find ourselves in. Yeah, yeah. I'm concerned more about the, the kingdom and advancing the kingdom than I am my own, you know, my rights or my personal, you know, freedoms or comforts or conveniences or, 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 or what have you. Um, at, at this point... Agrippa, Festus, Bernice, all of these people, they they walk off of the the stage, at least as far as the Bible is concerned, but that doesn't mean that they disappear from history because history bears out that actually all of these characters really just kind of help in, in their own small ways to help fan the flames for the war that's going to break out between the Jews and the Romans in just yeah. a few years. Uh, Festus only reigns for a couple of years, but uh, uh, some of his alliances and some of his political maneuvering uh, kind of stirs up problems with with the Jews even more. Um, Agrippa and Bernice, um, they try to be a voice of reason to the Jews when the war starts breaking out, but uh, it doesn't work, and eventually they end up just fully aligning with uh, the, the Roman counterparts. And so uh, they're, they're still part of the, the story in the grand sense. But it is interesting, uh, and I don't know if I made this point when we talked about Felix, but uh, I'm thinking about it because I was going to make this point when I'm preaching on Herod Antipas. You know, the only reason that we even know about these relatively minor characters like a Festus or a Felix or an Agrippa or Bernice or uh, Herod Antipas or whoever it may be is only because of of the Bible and because of, um, you know, the fact that the gospel continued on. Um, you know, if you're talking about who were the winners and who were the losers, well, those people were the losers, and Jesus and his church and the gospel was the winners, and it continues on even to this day. And so when we go back and we rehearse the gospel story and go back and look at it, well, yeah, we are going to talk about these, these, these minor blips in history. But again, the only reason they're even there is because uh, of, of who the winning side was. And... Um, you know, um, we just want to make sure that we're found on the right side of of that equation when it's all said and done. And, uh, this is a good chapter to kind of talk about uh, some of the things and some of the benefits as to why we need to get on the winning side. 
Final thoughts. Yeah, I, I mean, when you think about, is there anything I can really do uh, of significance to really leave my mark on, on history? You know, these people, in their own way, they did. You know, Agrippa did. But for the wrong reason. Yeah. I mean, would you want to be remembered as the person who, when they were confronted face-to-face with the gospel, just outright rejected it? Yeah. Or Felix, the one who trembled and, and was looking for an opportune time but never did. You know, would you want to be on that side of that, like you were saying? Um, no, we could be part of something where we have significance. And, you know, the Lord invites us to be part of His work, which is the most important thing ever. You know, when it comes to, you know, even political alliances, should we side with Jerusalem and Judea? Should we side with the Roman government? Look at where both of those are now. Yeah. Um, no, gone. Yep. So none of that matters. And what, what we need to focus on obviously is the spiritual side of everything and and that's where our alliances should lie and that's where we should put our our emphasis that's where we need to spend our time and efforts and you know reaching people even you know no matter where we are if we have a chance to to teach a a king agrippa Mm -hmm. let's do it you know if we have a chance to teach you know our neighbor who nobody's ever heard of we need to do it because those those two people are equal in God's eyes. Yep. They're, they're human beings with a soul that need the gospel. Um, and that's, you know, that's the type of attitude I think Paul would have. And I think in turn, that's that's the type of attitude we need to have as well. Yep. So uh, this was great. I, I enjoyed this chapter. It's, it's a very um, well-known chapter in a lot of ways because of those last few verses. Yeah. Um, and I think it was good to look at. But, you know, as always, uh, guys, we just need to keep studying, keep looking in the Word and see what we can find. Uh, and and let's live it. Yep, I got to steal your catchphrase last week. So oh, I heard that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you. I'm you know, glad you, uh, you took it back today. Uh, yeah. So next week we will jump on a ship for for Italy, and it will not be smooth sailing. But um, looking forward to chapter 27 next week as we uh, nearing the end of uh, the great book of Acts.